So have you ever been speaking with someone and while you're talking with them, you immediately think, ah, man, you should connect with so-and-so. Have you ever had a moment like that? I, I believe that's called networking. But there's this, there's this idea that like, ah, you're, you're talking and you're like, you really need to talk to so-and-so. If you understand that, that's the book of Colossians. There is a church leader in Colossae who is obviously in the church and the church has got some problems because every church has problems because people show up and every person has a problem and when they show up, the problems are multiplied. So every church has problems because we've all got problems. And he immediately thinks, I know a guy, I know someone named Paul who would best help guide us through the problems that we're facing. And so everybody say, what problems? I'm glad you asked. Um, there's two problems that they are facing in Colossae, the church in Colossae, and they're the same problems that we face today. Uh, they're not really new, but the, the number one is the church is more influenced by the culture that it's a part of than by Christ. So they have trusted Jesus in salvation, but other things are Lord. And as a result of that, there's a war on their affections, okay? And so the culture is having a greater influence on the church than Christ, and that's a problem. And then the second thing is the church is full of Jewish and Gentile believers. And if you were a Jewish believer, for you, circumcision was a command of God, and it's part of your culture. And if you are a Gentile, circumcision is not part of your culture, nor was it a command of God. And they're both in the church and they're wrestling through tensions. The best way that I could illustrate this is when COVID occurred and there was a vaccine, it almost blew apart churches and the conversation around it. Well, multiply that by like thousand. Circumcision is not this small thing. If you are Jewish, this is what you have always been. And this, is the, this was given to us by God. And so to change this, it's not an issue now, but it was no small thing. It was a really big deal and a really big thing. And it was dividing churches. And so this is the kind of the context. The, you know, the, the COVID example was the only one I could think of that was really divisive in our time. And so... Paul writes a letter to this church, a very, very short letter. It's only got four chapters. Obviously, he didn't have chapters when he wrote it. It's just a letter. Um, and he asks a question right off the outset that is really, really insightful. He asks this question, what in life surpasses all else? So for you and for this church, what in life surpasses all else? And he uses a specific word to articulate this called preeminent. And preeminent just means what is first? What is in first place in your life? And so when you think about your life, it's not just one thing. In your life, there are plenty of things that comprise your life. And so if you were honest today, don't shout it out, just kind of think about it in your own head. I could ask you questions if you and I were sitting at a coffee shop and I could ask you questions. What do you believe about life? About when it starts? Who's responsible for it? What do you believe about life? What about death? Whose right is it to take? Whose not right is it to take? Like, what do you believe about death? What do you believe about power? What do you believe about money? What do you believe about leadership? What do you believe about equality? What about redemption? 
Do we believe in redemption anymore or do we just throw people to the side? What do we do? Do we believe in it? Do we believe somebody can be transformed and they can change? What about vanity? What about creation? What do we believe about creation? What do we believe about gender? What do, we do? what do we believe about sexuality? We can have all of these conversations and we would all have beliefs about these things. And some of our beliefs surrounding these things would be influenced by the scriptures. Others of our beliefs would be the culture in which we're a part of. Some of it will be tradition and some of it will just be out of left field like you believe what? Okay, that's interesting. It'll be curious. And so Paul shows up at the church, and rather than deal with the problems first, he goes to the problem under the problem. And that's wise. Like, let's pretend you and I were at that same coffee shop, and you were pouring out your heart to me. You were being very honest and, and, and transparent. And right at the most crucible, crucible moment of, vulnerability, of your vulnerability, you look across the table and I've slid my hand and I've picked up my cell phone and I'm just kind of scrolling through socials. How many of you know it's a problem that I'm scrolling socials at that time? But the problem under the problem is I have disrespected our time together. That's the problem. So it's not like if I correct the socials that the deeper problem has gone away. It's why did you feel that that was the moment to do that? And for some of you who don't pick up on any social cues, this could be a moment of revelation for you. Like, oh, I shouldn't do that? No, thou shall should not do that. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. Here's what Paul says. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things, everyone say all things. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, there it is again, were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, there it is again. And him all things, there it is again, hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, everyone say everything. All things, all things, all things, all things, everything, that he might be first, that he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and then through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, make peace by the blood of his cross. And so for Jesus, I'm sorry, for Paul, excuse me, if Jesus is not preeminent, if he's not first, don't try to solve secondary problems. Unless we can be honest where Jesus is not first, we shouldn't then move towards these secondary problems. And so for the church in Colossae, again, they were being influenced more by the culture that they were a part of than they were by Christ, and that is a problem. And second of all, they were having internal factions about circumcision. They were in sharp disagreement, and this was affecting their unity, which obviously then affects their witness. And this is a problem. But notice Paul doesn't start with the problems. He starts with this posture of our hearts, that if Jesus isn't Lord, some Something else is, and that is the central problem. And until we address what else is Lord on an individual basis and as a church, we can look at all the secondary ones, but we still have the problem under the problem. This is what Paul is saying. How many of you in your life 
know someone who is not a follower of Jesus. Can I see your hands, please? They're not a Christian at all. It's quite interesting when we talk to people who don't know Christ because oftentimes you and I can begin to engage in conversations around a lot of different things. And we can agree to disagree and we can engage and we can do all these things. But sometimes, sometimes as followers of Jesus, here's what we can unknowingly do we can attempt to try to convince somebody who Jesus is rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to convict someone about who Jesus is. In other words, here's what we can do that can become just like the world in which we live. It's really, really it's slippery, but it's insightful. We are saved by the work of the cross plus nothing. It is by grace that we are saved that no man can boast it is this gift that we receive that we don't earn. But we can turn around and we can begin to talk to people about the things of the faith before we engage the gospel. And in doing so, we make it problematic because if they are not in Christ, the Holy Spirit is not yet in them and they cannot change except through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is problematic. Yes? So for, and, and, and how does Paul know this? Paul knows this because before Paul was in Christ, he was in tradition. And tradition was Lord. And tradition was so much Lord that these new followers of the way or followers of, the Jesus, of Jesus, Paul was seeking to put them to death and to persecute the church. And there was no convincing Paul before he was in Christ that he was in the wrong. But the moment Paul is in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in Paul and now everything begins to change. And when the Holy Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit will speak to us about other things that become Lord in our lives. This is the book of Colossians. And if you think, well, this can't happen, it's called creep. And it happens to every follower of Jesus and it can happen to any church. In the life of a Christian or the life of a church where other things take preeminence, other things become first over Christ, that is a big problem that just shows up in other problems. If you drove here from the West End, you passed by it on the highway. It's called the YMCA. Has anybody ever heard of the YMCA? I've heard, I've heard it's fun to, you know, to play at the Y, or whatever that song goes. I was gonna sing it, but I have a head cold and I can't remember it. But I remember the action, so they could all, like I remember that, but I don't remember the lyrics right now. You passed, you passed by the YMCA on your way in if you drove from the West End. It's the Young Man's Christian Association. It's what it is. It started off as a place of discipleship to form people in the way of Jesus. And now if you go to the YMCA, it's just a gym. It's called creep. It happens. It can happen to any organization where Jesus is no longer the main thing and the first thing. He's just a thing. Harvard. Harvard. Harvard started by a Puritan clergyman named John Harvard in 1636 with the purpose to train the next generation of clergy to help people understand the gospel. Harvard no longer is a place where Jesus is Lord. It's called creep. It can happen anywhere. And don't think it can't happen in your life and don't think it can't happen in this church. It can happen anywhere. And so Colossians is a book about what happens when Jesus is not first. He's not 
Lord. And don't miss this. In your life and in my life, something is always first. Here's the lie. You cannot unseat Christ and leave a vacant seat. That's not how it works. There is no neutral space. Every space that we live in is contested. It's not neutral. It's not just bland. It's, it's, like, a, it's like if those of you like the Super Bowl, there's no such thing as free yards. Every yard will be contested because there are two teams that are contesting for the same thing. There are two powers and forces in the world that are contesting for the affection of your heart. There is no such thing as neutral space. In our lives, something is always first. And so you cannot unseat Christ and leave a vacant seat. Something else will become first, something else will become Lord, and something else then will begin to form and shape. And so for Paul, he's looking at a church saying, unless we're willing to be confessional and honest, that Jesus is not Lord in every area. It doesn't really matter where we go. But if we are, anything is possible. Yeah. So some Christians in some churches, they try to change others or change culture. while They try to change culture while never dethroning whatever else is enthroned as greater than Christ. Here's what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you'll pray a prayer. It's not what he said. He said, if you love me, you'll tell other people that you love me. He never said that. Although it's good if you do that. He said, if you love me, you're gonna walk in my ways. You're gonna keep my commands. That's what he said. He defined what it is that love looks like. It doesn't look like ethereal feelings that I just kind of like ooey and gooey. You know, I felt love this morning. Great, that's a wonderful thing. Our emotions are part of how we're wired. It's a beautiful thing. But the definition of we love God is that we don't just trust him for salvation. We trust him as first, as Lord. And we walk in his commandments, even the ones we don't like. Turn to the person beside you and say, I got a few of those. <laughs> and, and here's also what I want you to know. I don't think throughout the whole of your life, I don't think this is an area that you ever nail and just got it we are always one circumstance away from something else becoming Lord, from something else moving into first place. Has anybody here ever been through something and how you responded to it shocked you? Can I see your hands, please? Didn't even know it was in there. Or maybe I knew and I thought I'd dealt with it and all of a sudden I realized, oh, there's more in me than I realized. So this isn't a do better message. This is trust deeper. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so we can talk and we should talk about life and death and power and gender and money and equality and redemption and vanity and creation and sexuality. But if Jesus is not Lord, that's the issue. The rest of it is just things we should talk about. But if Jesus isn't Lord, that's the issue. He says there, and it's in Colossians 2, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So it's not just that you received, now Walk. So walk in him, root in him, be built up in him and established in the faith. Notice all of those things are powerful things that we do. We receive Christ, then we walk in him. We root in him, we're built up in him and we're established in the faith. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Watch what he now says. See to it that no one takes you, really important word, captive. Captive. 
Here's a question I want you to ask yourself. What in the world today that is not in Christ holds the power to captivate your thoughts and emotions? To captivate you. Like, oh, that's interesting. What is it? It's different for a lot of us in the room. For me last night, watching my beloved hockey team <laughs> inflict pain on the other team in Ontario. It captivated me. Captivated. So while you're watching the Super Bowl, I will be re-watching that. Especially the last five seconds that captivated me greatly. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. It's biblical. That's... See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, which is what I just did. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. What in the world is an elemental spirit of this world? And the elemental spirits of this world are simply principles of an intellectual or religious system that are not rooted in Christ. It's all he's saying. So he's just saying that all education is good, but not all education is rooted in Christ. That's what he's saying. Like you can learn about a lot of things and that's good, but understand that not all of it is rooted in Christ. He's not putting it down. He's just saying, just understand that education is a wonderful thing, but it's not Lord. Education will not solve all the problems of our society. Information will not solve all the problems. Of our, they're good things. They're just not Lord. They're not in Christ. It's what he's saying. Don't let them become preeminent. Not don't get educated. Just don't view education as your, as your savior and your salvation. Don't, don't view it that way. In Ephesians, another letter, Paul gets even more practical, saying the same thing in another way. And he says essentially this, when Jesus is not Lord, it's called having a hard heart towards God, right? How many of you have ever heard the expression, like, you're real hard-headed, right? Like you're stubborn, like you don't get it, right? I've heard that once or twice. Yeah, in certain areas. Like, I can be really stubborn. I can be really hard-headed. In other words, I'm not tender and receptive. I'm defensive. And so what Paul is saying to this church in Ephesus is that when it comes to the things of God, you're, you're hard-headed. Your heart is not tender. It's tough. It's hard. And so to be tender towards God, he says this. The first thing you got to do is you got to put away falsehood. You gotta speak the truth with your neighbor. Turn to the person beside you and say, hi, neighbor. Okay, speak the truth with your neighbor. And let me say this one more step. When you're speaking the truth with your neighbor, it's a dialogue, not a monologue. Because I can see what is sometimes first in your life with greater clarity than you can see. And you can see what is, not, what is, not, what is, what is first in my life sometimes with greater clarity than I can see it because I live under my own self-justifications. Like for example, if we were in the grocery store and I saw you get real cross with your kid and like snap, not harm them, but just like snap, like put that back. I would go, <laughs> right? Like I would judge you as from your character but if I did the exact same thing, I would expect you to understand that this kid has got on all my last nerves and that I've been so gracious all day and they finally touched my, I would expect you to understand my circumstances, but I would judge you by your character. 
okay? This is what we're all, we're all prone to do. So we need to be having speaking the truth to one another about what is first before we go to the secondary issues. Because if Jesus isn't first, that's the issue. Be angry, but do not sin. And some of you may ruminate and reflect on that. Like, well, how do I be angry and not sin? You know. Don't do that nonsense with me. You know. You can be angry, but don't, you, you can't say that. You can be angry when you're driving, but don't do that. Well, what am I doing? You know what you're doing. Don't you dare pull that nonsense. You were to lift holy hands to the Lord, right? Not single digits to others. This, you know precisely what you're doing. When you're driving, you can come in front of me. You can come in front of me. You can stay right there. Be angry, but do not sin. You need your neighbor to speak the truth because once again, we will always justify what we do. I love how Ephesians says this, give no opportunity for the devil. When I was a youth pastor, the most asked question was always, what can we do as a couple that is not sin. Like in other words, what can we do together with one another? Like where's the line and how close? So that's what we ask, like, where's the line between anger and sin? We want to paint it like razor thin. And some of you, some of us, look at me putting it on you. I'm sick. Some of us, we got to paint the line way back here. Because if you paint it here, you may be right, but you have just given this much opportunity to the devil. And whatever opportunity you give him, he'll take. Some conversations you shouldn't be engaging in right now. Why? Because for you to engage that conversation, you are giving a lot of opportunity because you are not strong enough that when they say this, you're not gonna say that. Opportunity, opportunity. So it's not just a question of sin. Some of you gotta stop watching both social or traditional media because what comes out of your heart towards our leaders is not Christ-like. So don't paint the lines. Don't be uninformed, but just realize they're not gonna save us from anything. Jesus is Lord, not them. Let Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Turn the person beside you and say, let no corrupt? And then he says this, Put malice, bitterness, wrath, and slander away. Good luck. Are you getting it? Outside of the Holy Spirit, you can't do this. If you're not in Christ, you can't do this. This is too hard. You are surrounded by morons every day that are gonna make this really, really, really hard. And you're one of them, okay? You're someone who makes it hard for others. 
Okay, when you get up, they pray. Not for you, but they begin to pray because you've woken up. Okay, we're all someone's moron. That's a, put that on a Valentine. That's a Valentine. I'm gonna put that out for Valentine's Day. We are all someone's moron. We're all someone's moron. We are. I'm sick. It's okay. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we're all sick. That's true. That's true. But I'm more sick. Just jokes. So to keep Jesus preeminent and in the first place, here's the amazing thing. Some of you are doing the right things in the wrong spirit. I love this so much. To keep Jesus preeminent. Freedom in Christ is not just stopping. It is not just removing. It is refilling with what it is that you have been called in Christ to do. And so if you have a tongue that gossips and slanders, the problem isn't that you have a tongue and a mouth and an opinion. It is to get it in Christ so that your tongue and your mouth and your opinion no longer tears down, but it encourages and it edifies and it builds up. The issue isn't your tongue or your mouth or your opinion. And freedom is not just white knuckling, stopping the stuff. It is actually allowing the Holy Spirit to actually train and release you into the very thing that you were created to do. It's beautiful. So what I'm saying is that for some of you, for Paul, for some of you, you are stopping short from the full life that you can actually have in Christ. Which, and if you are, and if you believe it, it's when you, I hear this often as a pastor, like I don't want to begin to follow Jesus because by following Jesus, then life's not going to be fun anymore. And I get that. Because what we're really saying is like, I no longer get to sin. And I get that. But what the other side of it is, is I'm not sure if you've ever had the honor or the opportunity to speak words of blessing or upbuilding in someone's life or encouragement or edification. It is way better than bitterness and slander and malice. But it's hard. And so here's what the scripture says we should do. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God, here it is again, in Christ forgave you. And so to discover where Jesus is not first, let's end here. According to the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, who are always in unison, you gotta be discerning between empty deceit, which Paul says in Colossians, or empty words in Ephesians, or as Jesus said, blind guides. You gotta discern in tradition and culture. Is this a blind guide? Is it empty words? Or is it empty deceit? Blind guides are dangerous because they don't know they can't see. That's why they're dangerous. Empty words are dangerous because like junk food, they fill us, but they harm us at the same time. And empty deceit is dangerous because we end up believing what is true somewhere is true everywhere. More on that later. And so as the church was reading his letter, you could imagine a tension was brewing between Jewish Christians who were circumcised males, and then Jewish uh, or Gentile Christians who were not, and Jewish males who were saying, like, this is from God. You must do this to be a follower of God. And Gentiles who were older were saying, not on your life am I going to do that. No way. And Paul comes along, and how does he manage the tensions? 
to the Gentile believers in Christ, here's what he says. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having buried, been buried with him in baptism in which you're also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. A lot of words, but what is Paul saying? If you're in Christ, didn't you put to death the things that were in the flesh? And if you put to death the things that were in the flesh, then these can be problems that we work through. But if we are in Christ, Jewish and Gentile, they will not be problems that divide us. But if circumcision is Lord, then it's not just a problem. It is something that needs to be dethroned. And so he's saying, no, no, no. Every single one of us need to understand how God is at work. If your heart has been circumcised, which is the bigger issue, Again, it shouldn't be divisive. Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And so set your mind in verse 2 on things that are above. And he says, put away what comes before Christ in you. So how do you do this? How do you specifically put away what comes before us in Christ? One last scripture. Colossians 3. Verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, not sparingly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So some of you gotta put off some things, like me. But don't just put off things, put on better things. Like if you're gonna put off unforgiveness, put on forgiveness. If you're gonna put off doubt, put on trust. If you want to put off greed, put on generosity. If you want to put away gossip, put on encouragement. And don't do it in your strength. Do it in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, then you have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, like Paul, who wanted to persecute the church and kill the church and destroy the church. But once he is in Christ, all he wants to do is build and bless and see the church be everything that it can be.